there's actually a theory out there that Elon Musk and uh, the people from PayPal are the ones that created Bitcoin. There's actually like a video of like somebody from PayPal on a panel saying that the original intention for PayPal was to like create a like basically Bitcoin, but he didn't say Bitcoin. Yeah. And and to dive further into it, my business partner and I were talking about this. So Satoshi Nakamoto put a million Bitcoin in one wallet for himself. Mm -hmm. Right mm -hmm. now, Elon Musk has he went the whole Dogecoin right route, mm -hmm. and he like sent some to like space or something like that. What if that's a test run? What if he plans on sending that million Bitcoin to the moon one day, and then creates a I mean to Mars one day to create a space race to Mars with a prize at the end of it, and then all, everybody on the world will be trying to get to Mars as quickly as possible. All right, Seed Phrase Daily, welcome back to another episode. As usual, we've got another special guest, Mutant Ape right here, Ryan Horse. I'll let him do the introduction. Before we kick this off, make sure you guys drop a like, subscribe, and check out our free daily newsletter. As always, where we share all the alpha and things for you to keep up in the Web3 space. Ryan, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing amazing. I actually want to clarify real quick. The Mutant <laughs> Ape is actually a Gucci Grail, which is with the Project 10KTF. They yes. did some sort of collaboration or something with Mutant Apes. And uh, they, well, Mutant Ape and Gucci, like the actual yes. Gucci to yep. where they put Gucci clothing on mutant apes and it's part of their whole storyline inside the 10 KTFs ecosystem, which is the first little golden nugget for people. If you haven't heard of 10 KTF, it is the most incredible NFT project you could find. And um, yeah, yeah, I just want to clarify that before I move forward. What a flex, Gucci <laughs> and- I've heard of that. I've, it's I've, not as expensive as a mutant yeah, ape, so it's the opposite things, of a yeah. flex, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard I've heard about the 10KTF actually a few times, and, and they were doing some pretty good like things in this space. I think they have a collab too with other side, right? Or they're hinting at it at least from uh, yeah, what I see. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, that's a good right. alpha, honestly. It's a good yeah, project to show to keep. That's a rabbit hole right there in itself. Yeah, actually, the other side, uh, like the first look into the other side, there was a mission that they sent all of the users that were inside of the space checking it out for the first time on a mission to go find a set of broken glasses. And those broken glasses are actually the glasses of the main character of 10KTF, which is Wagmi-san. Wagmi-san. Mm. So yeah, a little guy. piece of alpha, if you knew what was going on, which I was like watching that live stream, I was like, oh shit, they just did that. That's real. This just, oh. that's confirmation right there. Yeah, great storytelling. That project does a really good job doing that. I think they're probably one of the first ones too who started really doing the whole storytelling narrative. Dude, we're already talking alpha. I love this. Yeah, that's wild. That's true. We're already in it. <laughs> this is great. Ryan, for everybody who's new, obviously, to our channel and in crypto, kind of just tell us a little bit of background of, uh, you know, what you are, not, not what you are, who you are, how you kind of got started in the space and what you're doing right now. Yeah, so my name is Ryan Horst. I own a crypto education company called Blockchain Insight Group. We go by Big Crypto for short. Um I've been told I'm supposed to call myself an international speaker because I spoke at, in Mexico once. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've been in this space since uh, 2017. I got in when you know a lot of other people did, where I rode that 
you know, that, uh, that I guess big bull run up to, uh, about $19,000 for Bitcoin. And then all the altcoins followed. It was, uh, I guess you could call it the first altcoin bull run in history. And then I wrote it all the way back down, <laughs> um, which is the classic story, which is like one of the best things that ever happened to me, you know, at the time. Uh, but then I, I've just studied everything for the next five years after that, along with entrepreneurship. I started quite a few different businesses and always the whole time knew that I wanted to be in the crypto space. But we all know what that four year long drought looked like in the crypto space. And then when 2021 came out um, with the whole new bull run, I reached out to my two friends, Yoni and John, who I actually introduced to crypto back in 2017 and said, hey, remember how I was telling you back in 2017 at the gym, like every night that I wanted to start a crypto education program and I wanted to have a whole community because I feel like this is like crazy valuable stuff that we talk about every single day here. Um, well, we should do that. And then they thought I was crazy. They're like, yeah, okay, sure, sure. And I was like, I don't think you guys get it. Like, <laughs> and then um, it kind of just took off right away. And, um, you know, in about a year, we've served over 100 students. And um, I've spoken on eight stages across the, I guess, world. Haven't been over to Europe yet, but I'm supposed to speak in Dubai soon. So that should be Ooh. great. And um, yeah. That's kind of a little rundown of me. That's dope. I want to get right into it. So I've, I've done a little bit of research on you. I love what you're doing in the space. I think it's super important because everyone jumps into crypto thinking it's a get rich quick scheme. It's actually something you have to be educated on. It's not something you can just hop into and be successful instantly. Maybe that was true in the 2017 altcoin bull run. You could throw a dart at anything and it'd make you money, but that's not true anymore. And that's not going to work for most investors. Um, and from my understanding, you have a pretty solid background in coaching. Like it goes all the way back to high school when you coached basketball for kids to get a scholarship oh, wow. in college. Um, so now you coach people in crypto, right? You have your own crypto consulting business and you have your one-on-one -on -one mentorship program. And a big selling point of your mentorship program is that you can teach crypto to anyone because you simplify in a way even your grandpa could understand, right? And I love that because one of the most intimidating things about this space is the lingo and the tech and people just don't understand it. So if we can put it into terms that are more relatable, more people will understand and want to get in. So I'm wondering in your experience with your hundred clients, what was what has been the biggest hurdle conceptually when you teach crypto to someone who's new to crypto? So before I answer that question, I want to dive into two things. One, I'm impressed. <laughs> I don't even know where that information's online about me coaching people. <laughs> Um, two, one key thing that you said is that, you know, there's that we're in this reality to where you can just jump into the crypto space and make a ton of money on accident. And with that being said, that should bring a level of skepticism to anybody that's trying to teach you cryptocurrency because they can look like they have, you know, the, the Rolls Royce, they can look like they have the big yacht. They can look like they have all of these things that look like they have a ton of experience inside the space. But in reality, they maybe just bought Bitcoin when somebody told them they should buy Bitcoin back in like 2014. Right. Exactly. And it worked out for them. 
they might not even know what Bitcoin is <laughs> or why they even hold it other than they just trusted this one guy this one time at this one spot, right? So I want to start off by mentioning that. So it is very important that the individuals that you guys look into working with, you can find out if they actually know what they're talking about, which is why I put out so much high, what I think is high quality content inside the space is to overcome that hurdle. Um, because there's a lot of people that don't actually know what they're talking about. And when I've spoken at a lot of events the past year, and even at some of these events, I've noticed that some of the people who speak on stage don't even know what they're talking about. And you don't know that though, until you're equipped with the information to know better. So when you don't know what you don't know, it's easy to fall into the trap of hiring the wrong person to teach you the educational things necessary to understand this space. Um, moving past that though, you, you asked um, what the biggest hurdles are for the individuals that come into the program to be able to understand this information. And I actually just got off a call with a client before this, and um, which is one of the reasons why I was running a little bit behind. So sorry about that. <laughs> and, um, and the biggest thing I was thinking about in my head was it's conceptualizing. So it's taking the, all of these intangibles, all of these things that we can't see in being able to conceptualize them. So, and that's one of the things that's difficult about this environment, but when you work with somebody that is able to break those things down and conceptualize them, then it makes it a lot easier. So that's why inside of our program, we have, when I'm teaching foreign concepts, I draw blues clues type drawings in order to, you know, beg the, the point of a crypto wallet is just like a house, right? The mailbox and the street address is your wallet address. And the seed phrase that you have is the, is the actual like code, the security uh, key that gets into your safe, yeah. right? The combination, if you will. So just breaking down the concepts into ideas that people are already familiar with. Like another example is I compare the Ethereum virtual machine to a giant digital octopus, right? <laughs> and then I, I draw an octopus inside of, you know, the lesson when I teach about that inside, inside of the program. And my ability to um, bring these intangible objects into a, a, what I think is easy way to conceptualize things in the, when I'm teaching it comes from, I went to school to learn um, to become a doctor. So I had to learn chemistry and biology and all those things that are intangible that we can't see unless you have a microscope or something. So it's all these different things like the Krebs cycle and whatnot that you have to try to like conceptualize in your mind or like organic chemistry where you have to like rotate a molecule in your mind in order to understand where like the SN2 reaction is taking place or something like that. Right. And if anybody's listened to this and you understand chemistry, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but <laughs> That's the most difficult thing I believe is that we're working with things that aren't actually tangibly real. So how can we bridge the gap between the intangible to something that can be easily conceptualized? That's a great I answer. That. So, I totally so agree if we were to you. put you on the test right now, right? <laughs> NFTs, very hard for people to understand, no matter how simple I try to explain it to people. How do you kind of go about, okay, here's why NFTs are not going anywhere in the next five to 10 years. What would you say? Oh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, so at the most basic point, we have cryptocurrency, which is digital money. 
and we have NFTs, which are digital things, right? The most, if we were to zoom out as far as humanly possible, NFTs are just digital things. But the big difference between the digital things that we currently have today and the digital things that we're talking about with NFTs is that you can own these digital things instead of the current digital things that we have today that aren't NFTs, such as documents or access to a curriculum or a software license that you have access to or a skin in a video game like Fortnite or a gun that you get in Call of Duty. Those are all digital things, but you don't actually own any of those digital things. You are just told that you have access to those digital things, which means that those are now digital liabilities if you bought them. NFTs give us the ability to actually have sovereign ownership of digital things for the first time in history, which then allows us to take those digital liabilities and then we can't actually convert them into NFTs. But if the company decides to release them as NFTs instead, we can now, instead of buying digital liabilities that we don't actually have ownership over, we can purchase digital assets for the first time. Even your domain name that you purchase from GoDaddy or whatever, you don't actually own that. You're renting that. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I love that. So for me, my background, like I'm pretty new into this space. I'm probably like four months in. I've taught myself everything. So I have a bit of a more like newbie perspective on things. And for me, that aha moment when like NFTs made sense, like you said, they are digital things and they represent ownership. Something Gary V said, which like, you know, Gary V, whatever, but I love him. <laughs> I love Gary V, but he gets a lot like people outside of the Gary V community think he's just kind of a clown because he's so mm -hmm. positive and whatever. But he made this point where like, for instance, I went to Boston University. Boston University right now, I think is about $60,000 a year, which is insane. And all of your coursework, everything that you do for each class is online mainly. Your lectures online, the assignments are online. But when I graduated, I didn't have access to any of these things after I graduated. You're paying 60K a year for these courses and you don't actually own them or have access to them once you're out of the course. NFTs can change that. You can make each course, each professor's lesson an NFT that's permanently on your wallet. It's part of your digital identity. It's part of your like, um, like how you have your Spotify songs archived, you can have your NFT courses archived, like same thing. So it kind of made sense for me in that sense. But where I struggle with NFTs still, cause I'm, I'm much more bullish on crypto than I am with NFTs as NFTs are today, is like this whole like PFP, like gaming culture. And I think NFTs, have a lot of tech and innovation and capability behind them that's not being utilized. So I'm wondering where you see the future of NFTs going since you've seen the crypto space evolve since 2017. What do you see for NFTs? Yeah, so <laughs> this is actually one of the coolest things about NFTs and cryptocurrency is that there's no limits. There's no limitations to what can actually happen with this technology. I can give an example of something that I that I see coming that's a no brainer that I know will be here that I think will give an idea to the to the listeners of uh, what's possible with this. But before I do, 
it's important to understand that the reason why it's difficult to really conceptualize the idea of where this technology could really go is that be, there aren't any limitations to it. In NFT and a cryptocurrency, at the end of the day, they're both tokens, right? Just okay. one is a non-fungible token, one is a fungible token, meaning that that fungible token, fungible means can be exchanged for something else, right? And with both of them, though, they're just blank slates for us to add whatever value into it that we'd like. So an NFT can be created and it's just a token, right? Think of that token as a serial number that's attached to the blockchain. If you own that serial number, you get whatever access or whatever utility that serial number gives you or ticket, you know, replace the word NFT with ticket to make it more easy for individuals to understand in today's terms. And there's no limit to the amount of value that you can add into an NFT or into a cryptocurrency. So think about the like how much more creativity can enter into the business world when we have a vehicle of value that could be whatever value inside of it you that's humanly possible. It could be anything at all. It could be equity in a company if you wanted it to be. It could be access to an event. It could be access to your time. If I'm the one that's providing an NFT project, I could say, if you own this specific NFT, you get access to one one-to-call, one-to-one call with me a week. And now what I've effectively done by doing that is created a tradable market of my time. And that's what Gary V has done inside of the V Friends project, mm -hmm. plus a million other things. That's just one aspect to yeah. it that I thought was super cool and groundbreaking that influencers could actually create a tradable market for their own time, which is super cool. Um, but anyways, the example that I was talking about before was <clears throat> the ability for NFTs to be used in the workforce, to be used with college, to be used with stuff like that. So let's say, let's look at one of the um, two problems one is just an inconvenience inside of the workforce right now for companies. And one of them is the hiring process. When you're going to hire somebody, you're looking at their resume and they have all these accolades on there and you really don't have a true way to verify the validity of those accolades, right? You can call up their employers, but isn't that, I'm pretty sure there's like a law that says you can't actually ask many details at all about what their involvement was with that previous company. Right. So somebody might say that they were, you know, they sold a million dollars in alarm systems, let's say for a door-to-door -door sales company for alarms. Um, but you really don't have any way to verify that. Um, so what if as a company, when somebody earns a specific award, an accolade like selling, we'll use the same example, a million dollars worth of alarms, now, instead of just getting a bonus, they actually receive an NFT. And on that NFT, it has their name and it says a million dollars in 12 months, whatever you want. And they add that into their own wallet as a soul bound token. A soul bound token mm -hmm. is an NFT that cannot be moved to anyone else's wallet. So it's stuck with you and your wallet forever, which is very, very handy when you're looking at the different use cases of this technology. 
And then let's say a site like LinkedIn decides that they're going to become well or Web3 compatible, meaning that you can connect your cryptocurrency wallet to LinkedIn. Yeah. And then LinkedIn says, okay, I see you have this NFT here that says you're a million dollars in 12 month accolade. And then boom, you can have that verified on your LinkedIn profile or on your Web3, I don't yes. know, resume. Someday that'll be a thing, I'm sure. And then... And then let's say when somebody goes to hire you, they also give you an NFT. And then that NFT is verification that you worked at this company. But what if it's dual purpose? Then that NFT could even give access to different backdoor areas of the website for the intro web that they have so that they don't have to go in and give you manual access to all these different applications and whatnot within the system. And then when you leave or when they fire you, one or the other, you could then just blacklist that wallet address. And since it's soul bound to that wallet address, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So there's, so, that's just an example. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so fascinating that you say that because literally last week we just did a podcast with a NFT project called Root Troop. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Root Troop? No. Root Troop. Check them out. And they're actually literally enabling that same exact system that you're talking about. So they, they just developed that system of connecting resumes with actual companies that want to hire and having that NFT be the verification access to like, okay, whether is this guy credible or not with these accolades that he's saying? And is this company credible enough and funding you, giving you the position, so on and so forth. So That's the, so the cool. fact that you just said that again is like, wow, that space is, yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. It's like verification. And whoever can solve that problem of like connecting people, I think just in general, without all the hidden stuff that you would or would, it's like a background check, right? Think about it mm -hmm. as a background check. But instead of a background check, hey, you already have this guy's experience, what he does, what they've done, who they've worked, accolades, all literally just visible to you on the blockchain and their wallet. And I think that idea in itself is revolutionary. It's like, how can you apply that to other businesses as well? Yeah, it's all it's all verifiable. You could then go and check the block explorer to see, oh, was this NFT actually sent from the company itself? And then you could see, oh, it was. I also got to give a shout out to my uh, brother-in-law because we thought of that together on, on my Let's balcony. Let's go. <laughs> That's fine. So thank you, RC. That was some good brainstorming <laughs> session. <laughs> Sorry, I was just going to say, so it's essentially certification <laughs> verification of like, you know, like people have like their badges on LinkedIn that they got a certain certification in a certain field. So this will basically solidify that because it's on the blockchain so everyone can see it. It's And then it'll probably be what uh, designated from a company. So let's say you truly worked for a company. So it'll give you like that token saying so-and-so was a member of this company from this certain time. So I guess, is that what you're saying? So this is kind of... Yeah. Be, so basically yeah. it's like... And, and that Resume. So instead of sending like a paper, the traditional paper resume, which, you know, everyone fucking like sends out, but no one, you know, reads it because there's like 300 applicants. So that way you could just really sift out who the legitimate actors are versus like the frauds. They say, oh, I work for this company, but they could just totally be bluffing and not have the proper uh, documentation to back that up. Okay. So that's, uh, that's exactly it. That's correct. Yeah. And that same idea can be extrapolated into anything that has any kind of certification requirement for something. Right. Yeah. Or 
you know, it could be, it could be hair salons. Somebody gets their degree in hair saloning. That's not a verb. <laughs> hair <but> saloning. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then they all of a sudden have that, you know, verifiable proof. And, and you know that this will catch on over time just simply because of competition, right? Yeah. If you're looking at my resume and it says that I verifiably have a million dollars in sales in 12 months versus someone else who unverifiably says they have a million dollars in sales in 12 months, you're going to pick me provided that, you know, all the other variables aren't, are the same. What are your, okay. What are your guys thoughts on how much does that tie into the social status and the ego that one can have because they have those things visible to everybody, right? I think that's one big problem to kind of keep in mind is like human psychology. Like for example, now NFTs are in a sense being used as a flex, right? Like if you own specific NFTs, that's showing you some type of social status that you couldn't have gotten before, right? As accessible, as easy, and as presentable online. So do you think with a technology like this, right? And with everything being so visible, it'll really affect the way people look at each other or not? Um, no, because people that want to flex are already going to, yeah. right? They're already going to go get their Lamborghini if they have the funds. They're already going <laughs> to, if they don't, they'll go rent one, right? Exactly. <laughs> it, it just, you know, it, it just will. I think that, and, and let's say I want to have a board ape to have the utility of board ape, but I don't want to flex that I have it. Maybe I want to keep that quiet. Like you can do that. You can't keep having a Lamborghini quiet. Yeah. Right. It, they're loud <laughs> for yeah. starters. Yeah. And it's also in the physical. Like if I wanted to have a board ape and keep quiet about that, I could do that by having a separate wallet that nobody knows is tied to my name. And that's the benefit of cryptocurrency as well is that, you know, you can have one wallet, which we teach this in our program, that is public facing where you get people to send you funds to that wallet where you would probably have your ENS name attached to it. And then you'll have a separate vault wallet where you actually keep all your stuff that you don't connect any websites. Yeah. You have it on your, uh, your, your cold storage, your ledger, right? So you can be as private as you want. Um, it kind of gives that ability. Yeah, not only the ability to be private, but also something that is important to me is your data. And I know you've talked about this a lot as well. Like people, we're catching on that you know, your laptop is probably listening to you. your phone is listening to you. Like you talk about cats all day, then you see an ad to buy cat food or something. Like we know this, we know that big tech is doing this. If you look up like where the closest smoke shop is next thing, you know, there's a smoke shop ad while you're scrolling Instagram. Like we already know this as a fact. What Web3 technology does is say, okay, there's all this data out there from you using the internet. Why not own your own data? Why are you giving it out to these centralized, big conglomerate companies and they're profiting and monetizing off of it and you're not? But this is okay. This is where I have this internal debate, which is we all know our data is being used to make Facebook money, to make Google money. We all know that. But do people really care enough to learn a new technology, learn new databases, learn new things? to change that? Do they really care enough to do that? I, I'm not sure. So I think that there's 
two things that will pop up here that will make people care. One of them is continue ah, three things. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So first one. <laughs> yeah, right. We're we got a high bidder. <laughs> so one of them is the knowledge that if your data is being held by a centralized company, then there are there's a potential for a data breach. Mm-hmm. Right? We've seen it happen with I think it was over Equifax. Yeah, Equifax, uh, TransUnion. Equifax, don't sue me Facebook. if it wasn't you, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sony, yeah, like Equifax, right? Like your yeah, social security yeah. number. Yeah. Like that is the most important thing out there. Pretty sure Target had a breach. Yeah. Sony had a breach yeah. where a lot of people lost yeah. their credit cards, right? So like the first thing is that your data is stored by these centralized entities. And these centralized entities have proven that they have limitations around their own cybersecurity. So you're trusting them that they're going to keep your data safe instead of a blockchain, which is verifiably safe, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is that there will continue to be problems that come up where our data is used for malicious reasons, right? We've seen it happen. Um, I don't want to get too tinfoil hatty or anything with like, Facebook and the whole election stuff and whether it happened or not, there's it's possible that it can happen. Yeah. I mean, Edward Snowden, like he exposed the spy culture in our government and how everything we do in the United States is being spied on. But that's what I'm saying. Like Edward Snowden is an asylum seeker in Russia. No one really talks about him. No one really cares anymore. Like it died out. Mm-hmm. So that's in, in maybe there hasn't been enough problems like that for it to be an issue, right? Cause like, or a big enough problem to happen, I guess, I, you, you know, that's that, those are some of the things to consider where, you know, after enough times of the data being used for malicious reasons, then it could start to spark something. And then the third one, which could be a big one is people realizing that they can get paid for their data. Yeah. People want to make money. So if they're using something called, here's another piece of alpha. There's a, there's a project called ocean protocol that's working on this where you can own your own data and then you could get paid on it. Right. And then brave browser kind of does a similar thing, Mm -hmm. except it's more based around your attention, not really your data where they're, they're paying you to see advertisements. It's this idea that we're just, like our attention and the information about our activities are provably invaluable to companies, but we don't get anything for it. Right. 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 So it's, and I think that the world's kind of coming to a new level of consciousness because of the internet and the widespread information to where they're starting to recognize that. And maybe it takes a little bit longer, but I, I think it's inevitable because when you combine security with people wanting money Mm. plus goodwill which are the three things i just covered then i I think it's a no-brainer that one day we get to that point yeah i couldn't agree more and i think uh one of the biggest things that people sleep on and don't understand is like the most valuable thing you have is your attention and your time and right now as you spend your time like every single person on earth is spending no less than five to six hours a day on their phone and they pretty much get nothing in return, like direct value besides like, you know, the phone calls, sure, whatever, but specifically for social media. So imagine like where the to earn culture really pops up and it's like, OK, now you actually get to pick where you spend your hours every single day on your phone. 
and how you actually get some type of value back for spending that that much time, obviously, uh, on social platforms. And I think it's a no-brainer for crypto to be able to be that disruptive entity and technology to change that consumer behavior. All right. So I was going to say money is this, the main driver of everything. I'll be honest. Majority of people that are in crypto are probably in it to make money. And the majority of people that will use whatever social yeah. media platform or platform, whatever they could use their data for monetary value, that's going to be the, the winner. That's going to be the front runner for whoever is creating this technology. People want to make money. At the end of the day, that's what drives people. It's like, yeah, you could be in it for mm-hmm. education and the freedom that blockchain and crypto provides. You know, it's, it's the, getting rid of the middleman or the third party. At the end of the day, money is pretty much the main driver for what a lot of people do. If, for me personally, like I, a lot of the stuff in the back of my mind is like, yeah, I want to learn. But money is obviously key. I, w- I want to make money. I want to get rich. So I feel like that's what's going to be the driver there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just yeah. gave me a question for us to talk about. Okay, so obviously Elon Musk, right? He just finally put in the offer for the second time oh, to acquire Twitter. <clears throat> After he did that, right, he came out with a tweet. And the exact words I don't know in front of me here, but he's like, Twitter's the first step into creating the everything app, which is called X, right? We know Elon's really big on Twitter. We know he's big on getting to space. We know he pretty much can execute almost anything he puts his mind to. So what do you guys think that next level of social media or that next app that he wants to create is going to look like? And this is just open convo right here. So, did you say that he's calling it X? Yeah. X. He the said, every yeah, X, X. The everything Project app. X. The everything app. Interesting. Okay. So, there is there's something um, that's been produced called Lens Protocol. Lens.xyz is the website, which is basically creating a baseline social blockchain on Polygon mm-hmm. that will allow us to hold the data for our social media lives on that blockchain and then other social media applications can be built on top of this blockchain to pull data from it mm-hmm. right and then you know that those apps don't own your data it's inside the blockchain um so that's a really cool idea for this whole social media shift is the idea that we can have one blockchain and one username for everything and then all the apps just connect to that and then they have a an app called Lensster, which um, actually you can connect via API to your Twitter so that everything you post on there goes to your Twitter, which is pretty cool. Um, But as far as the the Twitter as the first step towards the everything platform, I can see that because Twitter is where people get their news now, right? So Mm -hmm. since that's where businesses start their their i guess dissemination of news and different things about what's going on inside their company i can see that being the place where that would all start from that's probably what elon musk is looking at and it's interesting that he's calling it x because i heard that elon musk's kid's name is like in i don't know if in latin or something means like x marks the spot or something like that so that's kind well, of well he has 12 kids so i'm sure they're they got all types of oh, he has 12. yeah he has like wow. 12 good for, good for him busy busy man <laughs> um, okay um, but yeah no i could totally see that my take yeah. is um this is like a dystopia that we're about to live in like are you kidding me? One of the richest men in the world wants to create an app that everyone goes to for everything. 
So he's monitoring everyone's social media in every sense, like Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, all in one place. That sounds crazy to me. Like that's that's like the antithesis to what Web3 is trying to do, which is decentralize and democratize the internet. And this billionaire is like, nah, like I'm just gonna buy it all actually. Well, so I don't actually, know if that's, yeah, go ahead, Ryan, go ahead. I, I don't, I think that if, if Elon's moving forward all this, I think that his intention is to bring it to the blockchain. I, I, he's too big of a proponent of crypto for him to not see that that is the obvious step forward. I don't well, he's think that, and he's a daredevil in a sense, right? Like we've noticed yeah. over the years that he doesn't like the centralization aspect and that, that there's a higher power that dictates the way you move, right? We've seen that obviously with his personal life, with his business life, and he always bumps head. And he also agrees with the idea of like, hey, the right and the left are no difference. They are just working for their own agenda. Yeah. So I think this is just me talking off the top by high there. Like when he says the everything app, I don't think he's talking about putting Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook together. I think it's more so how do you create one central hub that allows people to be free to the most extent, right? Free with their data, free with their lives, free with their attention, free with their monetary value that they get out of that and so much more. And I think that's the direction that we'd head to. And if he is able to do that, then he's just going to prove us one more time that whatever he does is actually better than what we were doing before he created it, like PayPal, Tesla, right? Like SpaceX. So he's really just moving the world forward, I think, in a way that a lot of people just don't really understand yet. Well, and if he does end up transitioning it to a Web3 social media project, I could see that being an incredible way to almost forced adoption exactly. of individuals getting their cryptocurrency wallets and starting to learn some of this stuff in as little you know amount as they need to. Um, but there's actually, I don't know if you guys have heard this conspiracy theory, um, <laughs> but there's actually a theory out there that Elon Musk and uh, the people from PayPal are the ones that created Bitcoin. And oh, I watched the YouTube video on it. Yeah, I watched this YouTube video on it and I was like, huh, you know? Wow. I don't fully disagree. I see all of your proven points. There's actually there's actually like a video of like somebody from PayPal on a panel saying that the original intention for PayPal was to like create a like basically Bitcoin, but he oh. didn't say Bitcoin. Yeah. And, and to dive further into it, my business partner and I were talking about this. So Satoshi Nakamoto put a million Bitcoin in one wallet for himself. Mm -hmm. Right mm -hmm. now, Elon Musk has, he went the whole Dogecoin right route mm -hmm. and he like sent some to like space or something like that. What if that's a test run? We're getting real. We're getting real in the weeds here. Oh, shit. Get your, get your rocket boosters on for this one. <laughs> the cops are what coming. <laughs> what if he plans on sending that million Bitcoin to the moon one day and then creates a, I mean, to Mars one day to create a space race to Mars with a prize at the end of it. And then all, everybody on the world will be trying to get to Mars as quickly as possible. And, and, and wait, wait, wait. Hold on to your horses. There's more. And, <laughs> and by the way, I don't believe in this fully. I just think it's fun to speculate. Mm -hmm. And 
he also brought up the whole problem with Bitcoin and the energy consumption because he wants to save as much energy as possible for rocket fuel. And that's why he created Tesla, because he wants us to start using, stop using fuel to drive around cars on the planet when we need to use that fuel to get to Mars one day. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to watch this video. OK, hold yeah. on. Let's touch up on this. No, one. that's not in the video. None of that's in the video. That's just me and my business <laughs> partner. I, OK, did you guys see this? I'm sharing my screen here. Did you guys see these leaked texts, Ryan, uh, of Jack no, Dorsey no. and Elon talking? OK, check this out. So this was leaked text, right? of Elon and Jack talking together. And if you take a look at Jack Dorsey right here, he said, I believe it must be an open source protocol funded by a foundation of sorts that doesn't own the protocol, only advances it, a bit like what Signal does. It can't have an advertising model. Otherwise, you have surface area that governments and advertisers, which is clear here that they're saying, we don't want to work with governments or advertisers to try to influence control of the mass population. Elon replies, super interesting idea. Again, I don't know how true this is, but right. this was going on. And then, you know, Jack Dorsey goes, Elon goes again here. I think, where is it? I think the main reason uh, is the board. It's super risk averse and saw adding you as more risk, which I thought was completely stupid and backwards, but I only had 3%. Fuck, what was I wanting? Oh, right here. Okay. Elon goes, I think it's worth both trying to move Twitter in a better direction and doing something new that's decentralized. Proving the point that, again, Elon does want to move things to Web3. He does believe in decentralization because, again, those guys have dealt with more government control than anybody else has, mm -hmm. right? With the projects and the companies they've built. So they understand that everything big and powerful has to be owned by somebody. Or if it is owned by somebody, then they can't actually be as free as they want to with the direction of the company because there's mm -hmm. policies, there's regulation. There's obviously higher power, there's world wars, whatever the case may be, that want to give their input and steer you in the direction as a regular citizen, right, that they want you to be in. And I think decentralization is really going to be like a huge game changer if we can actually pull something like that off. I mean, I think for the health of the world, I think we need to move towards more decentralized social media platforms. And one reason for that is because we like these social media platforms, the intention from them has moved completely away from how do we connect the entire world? Yes. Right. It has moved completely yeah. away from that to now the intention is how do we suck as much attention from out every single person from the planet as possible by giving them as much dopamine as humanly possible to fill our pockets more. And that's a dangerous place to be. Yeah. Mm hmm. Now we're actually now now we're switched from the purpose of our business to like rewire the chemistry of the brains of the people of the world as opposed to making life better for people. Yep. And if we create a decentralized social media platform, then that can give power to the people through the use of a DAO. Maybe Twitter can become a DAO one day, a decentralized autonomous organization which for people listening, if you're not too familiar with that, it's basically a decentralized business where the people make the decisions and then the business executes on those decisions. And it is a legal entity inside of Wyoming and possibly other states in nice. the US now. And what if we get into that reality where the people decide on the next step for the social media platforms and the people are gonna be way more cautious of what's better for the planet versus what's going to fill the pockets right. of the people that are running the company. 
Totally. Right. And I also want to add something to what you just showed. It sounds like a very legitimate conversation, but yep. it looks like it's a snippet from AOL Instant Messenger from <laughs> back in like 2004. Literally. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Does. Yeah, it's it's interesting enough to draw the skepticism that it can be a real conversation. Absolutely. I was going to say open source. I think from that conversation, I mean, decentralized is cool and all. I mean, but how decentralized could something be is dependent on government regulation. I mean, look at what's happening with staking Ethereum on like these major centralized exchanges. Like there's, you know, government intervention somehow or some way. But I was going to say the biggest takeaway is the open source protocol. I think that's very important for transparency. I think people lack uh, just knowledge of how things are, are, are running. And so when you have an open source protocol, you have people are going to see how Twitter actually runs and how it basically removes the rule from people's eyes because they're saying, oh, I'm being manipulated. I'm being shown a certain, you know, propaganda, a certain way of thinking. And that's what the machine is showing me through an open source protocol. People are going to actually determine what the algorithm is geared to show people. And I think that's going to reveal possible, you know, that people's whole way of thinking has been just been manipulated for so long because people are not able to objectively. For sure. So I think sure. open source protocol will truly allow people to be more critical and open-minded thinkers. I think that's the biggest takeaway that's going to create a whole, total shift in just kind of our cultural way of thinking. Yeah. I think it's so important for the step forward for that. Yeah. I, I love that all of these projects are moving towards open source. And in fact, if you're building a project in the Web3 world and it's not open source, it's frowned upon. Because not only it, it does two things. One, it creates way more trust within all the people that are utilizing it, which will then allow the platform to grow quicker. But it also allows for the innovation of the Web3 world to compound upon itself. Because instead of having to create a whole new platform for something, we can just copy the code from another one and then make iterations, which the speed at which we can innovate with that being the foundation is so fast it's unreal which also creates a double-edged sword to where you can have you know false uh protocols built that can be very scammy um but that's why it's also just very important to know what you're doing i want to interject for a second because i come at this conversation from maybe a different lens than you guys which is that i'm a bitcoin maxi right and here we go here we go here we go ready you guys are talking about decentralization so you're talking about decentralization and something that's coming up is talking about okay but the government will intervene and create legislation and try to control it that's true for ethereum that's true for any other altcoin that's not true for Bitcoin. Bitcoin cannot be legislated, cannot be controlled by the government because it's the only thing that is truly decentralized. Why do you think like we're talking about Ethereum and staking being monitored by the government? Because it's on a centralized exchange like Coinbase. Ethereum itself is not truly decentralized. If you can pre-mine, you're not decentralized. You can pre-mine, you're not decentralized. So my question for you, Ryan, you talk a lot about decentralization. You've talked about corrupt and biased governments, the power of blockchain technology, the power of democratization of the internet. Are you a Bitcoin maxi? No. 
<laughs> and, Easy and, answer. And, <laughs> and one of the reasons for that is let's say something does happen to the current present Ethereum blockchain that we have. We always have the free will as a community. And by community, I mean everybody in the world to fork that code and just move to another blockchain. Just like what, what just happened with us moving from proof of work to proof of stake. Yeah. If you want to stay, stay on proof of work, there's people that can do that. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And let's say that the proof of stake new blockchain that we have with Ethereum gets controlled somehow, then we can just move to another one. Mm. There was because and then there has to be a, an agreement from, you know, the whole world basically to do that. Um, so I think that the the availability of free will is what actually prevents that from being a full inherent problem. And I'm also I'm also aware that I could be ignorant and not have all the answers to this right now. And somebody might be listening to this and say, well, you're an idiot because you're not thinking <laughs> about X, Y and Z. And I'm, you might be right. Right. <laughs> I'm not a coder. I'm not a developer. So I'm aware of the limitations to my own knowledge. Um, but from what I understand, it seems like we can just have the free will to move to another chain. Yeah, or you, we could just use Bitcoin. <laughs> well, but if we're using Bitcoin, then we're, very, we're, we're trapped in the confines of what's possible on Bitcoin. But that's which the is beauty just... of it, that it can't be changed. It can't be altered. Like, no one has power over it. But now we have to look at what's the intention for what we're actually doing with the blockchain. Yeah. No, so if the intention is a storage of value, then unrivaled Bitcoin, Bitcoin yeah, should be course. the only thing that we use, right? We shouldn't be storing value with Litecoin or Bitcoin SV <laughs> or like Bitcoin yeah, gold yeah, or cash. like any of this stuff there. We should be storing value with Bitcoin if that's the intention for it. But if the intention is to create decentralized applications that can separate us from the power of, you know, all of the different entities that are currently garnishing all of the power because they own these applications and the data inside of them, then we can't use Bitcoin for that. We have to use something else. Yeah. And maybe one day, maybe there's a possibility that we go down the line and we find out proof of stake wasn't the best option. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I'm aware of that. I don't I don't see it, but it's possible. Right. This yeah. is all so new. So that's why it's important that we have other layer one blockchains out there, such at or even layer zero, like Cosmos ecosystem. Like I really like Cosmos. Me too. Really love what they're doing. <laughs> but too. then there's also there's other proof of wake proof of work layer one blockchains out there like Cadena which leverages that proof of work consensus algorithm technology, but adds sharding to it so that you can have the high transactions and finality speed that you can't get with, you know, the Ethereum proof of work blockchain that was out. So there's, there's new solutions coming out all the time. We don't know what's going to be around 10 to 15 years. We can just speculate on what will be based on the problems that are being solved in the world. Okay. I think this would be a really good sound, right? So I'm just going to ask you one thing. A lot of people don't know what sharding is. It's not shitting and farting. Can you explain to us what sharding is? 
So sharding is the idea that, so let's, let's break it down into easy to understand terms. So every time that we have a transaction that's going through, we have data that needs to be processed. And if you're not using sharding, then all that data is being processed by one source, right? If we do use sharding, then that's the idea of processing all this data by splitting up that data and then allowing multiple sources process that data as opposed to just one. Right. Easy. That was perfect. Okay, let me ask you this. This is another good soundbite. So everybody who is, is, and I'm sure you get a lot of these questions, obviously, as you teach people about crypto. A lot of people want to come in and make money as quick and as easy as possible. If there is one or two ways you would direct people to be like, here's the simplest and best way for you to make money as soon as you come to crypto, what would they be? Simplest and best way to make money when buying crypto. Um, buying our program is the first thing that comes to my mind. <laughs> um, um, but then the next one would probably be not to get into crypto. Because if you're if you're coming into it with the intention of I just want to make money as quick as humanly possible, then you're getting into it for the wrong reasons. You're going to get burnt. Yeah. So I advise that you get in and you actually take the time to understand blockchain. You understand Bitcoin. You understand Ethereum. Those are like the three foundational things that you should understand and then understand what a consensus algorithm is, which is part of understanding blockchain. And then you look into investing. And uh, if you're trying to get a home run, then what you're probably going to do is you're going to dump everything in all at once, which can be dangerous because it's a very volatile market. Instead, what we, you know, what we teach as an example of what we do is we DCA, we dollar cost average, we buy a little bit of Bitcoin this month a little bit of Bitcoin this month and a little bit of Ethereum. And we kind of sprinkle it in that way so that we average in our buy. We ladder in our buys, if you will, so that we're, the volatility can be a good thing for us. Um, but if you're, you should have a long-term time horizon on this stuff, right, is the big thing. And by sprinkling in in this way, you're making the bet that it is more of a long-term time horizon as opposed to dumping everything in at once and trying to sell it in a month. Yeah. You don't know what it's going to be at in a month. So you could just as easily be down 50% the next month as you could be up 50% the next month. So that is kind of the, the big thing that I'd focus on there. But what you can do is you can actually hedge yourself against the volatility inside of the cryptocurrency markets. Yes. And you can do this by taking part in some of these decentralized ways to make passive income in the DeFi space, such as staking, such as receiving airdrops, such as participating in liquidity pools. Mm -hmm. And by participating in these various different passive income strategies inside the crypto space, you can set yourself up to earn 100% interest over the course of a year on your cryptocurrency that is otherwise just sitting in Coinbase. And then what's important with that is that if you earn 100% interest on your cryptocurrency and the price of that cryptocurrency drops 50% over the course of a year, you're still at a net neutral. You're even right there, right? And then you're in an even better position for when everything does go back up 
to where now you have double the amount of money that you would have in the first place. And so I, th I think that if people just can understand that if they learn how to safely earn passive income, passive income inside of this cryptocurrency space by leveraging DeFi, which can sound like gibberish to a lot of people and yeah. liquidity pools might sound like it's very confusing, but it's all very simple once you actually get the right education. Um, it really makes investing in this space a lot more conducive to what your gut will allow, <laughs> yeah. right? Not only because you understand the technology, so when you invest in it, you don't feel like you're gambling, but also because even if it does go down, you're guarded in the fact that you're making more of that crypto passively every day anyways. Yep. I couldn't agree more. And I think a, a big reason for Yeah, and I think a big thing for people that it hasn't really clicked is like when you see all these huge staking and these huge APY, obviously returns, compared to like your typical banking that you've been fucking used to for the last few hundred years that give you no return on your cash that's sitting there. It's like, is this real? How is this mm -hmm. not a scam? Like, why am I getting paid 5% for my money sitting in there? You know, and it's still yet to click to a lot of people's heads. And I think that's another reason why crypto hasn't really like been adopted as much as it should be is because it just seems so bizarre, so different from like what we've been used to as humans for the last hundreds of years. Yeah, I mean, I, I can help try to make that click real quick if that could be helpful. Yeah. So the reason why we have such high interest rates right now is because when these projects are released, they have something called a token distribution model or a token allocation model that comes out to where they have a certain amount of tokens that are not distributed to the population to where they reserve that for marketing purposes, right? And one of the ways that they do these marketing purposes is by giving out these tokens in large amounts to the people that are coming on board first. So then they have having periods or thirdening periods to where after X amount of years, those rewards got get cut in half or in a third. And then over time, while those interest rates right now are maybe 100 to 200 to 300%, in order to have this balance out, one day they're going to be 10% because they have already yep. gained the mass adoption that they needed. And the way they gained that mass adoption is by having these high interest rates so that they don't actually have to put any money towards marketing. The marketing yep. is built into their token allocation model, their token distribution model. So that that's how they market it because then word of mouth takes place. It's like imagine if Instagram told you you can get paid for every single person you brought onto the platform 10 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. And now they wouldn't need to do that. <laughs> exactly. Because everybody's already on it. In fact, now they don't have to give you customer support. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. And now they can, they, can, they can ban your account for, for because for they think that you're impersonating someone, impersonating yourself, apparently. That happened to me. Yeah. And then you still try to get back on the platform. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because last week I had uh, somebody from MIT actually uh, call me and he he was saying they want to try to build a new platform, like a new social platform, obviously, that's decentralized and web related. He's like, what do you think as whether it's a consumer or obviously a creator, because we're a creator, is one of the biggest problems like with social media right now. And I said customer service, right? As a person, like if you're a typical user, if you were having any issues with your account or, again, you got uh, scam reports, whatever the case may be, you, there's no way for you to talk to somebody and be like, yo, 
I keep getting these messages or somebody's impersonating me. And then as a business, it's the same thing to you. Like, hey, if my video isn't getting enough reach, the algorithm changed, or I'm trying to figure out a better way to improve my content, or how do I run ads on this platform, right? It's very hard for you to actually reach somebody that can give you step-by-step guidance in one way or another. And I think customer support's a huge, huge advantage that people don't think it's like an actual business advantage to have. Oh, yeah. And the funny thing is that there's such a lack of customer support and such a need for customer support that there's become an underground customer support system within the whole ecosystem to where you can pay an employee in Instagram or Facebook in order to, (laughs) you know, get your account on the back end. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. I think this is a great conversation. What else we got? Anything else? Ryan, what I mean, else you want to share with us? Dude, I don't uh, anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm an open book. I mean, I think this has been awesome. We've talked about some great things. We dropped some alpha, broke down some complex topics. Alex? I was going to yes. say, so, uh, you know, t- 2020, we had DeFi summer, right? And then the last bull market, we had this huge pump in NFTs. NFTs have been around for since, like, what, 2016, 2017. But really, this last bull market was where we really got that hype exposure um, you know, what do you think will be the next big thing, the new narrative come next bull market? You know, obviously, like I said, 2020 was DeFi summer, last bull market we had, you know, NFTs. NFTs. Do you, what, do you, what do you think that will be the next narrative come the next bull market? Next narrative, uh, I believe, will be crypto gaming. I think yeah. that the gaming industry is one, like one of the most well-funded systems in the world. And talk about attention, right? Yeah. When I was in high school, I played video games for like eight hours a day sometimes. <laughs> you know, literally, if you were to tell me that I could get paid for playing Call of Duty, I would have, first of all, I would have looked at my mom and given her given her a look like, uh-huh, see, but, <laughs> but the reality is, is that it's such a huge market with so much money and such an easy like there's such easy utility for video game companies that I, I think that's the next narrative for sure. Cause if you just explain to somebody that, yeah, instead of buying that Fortnite skin, you can buy it as an NFT and then you can actually make money off of it, which is like what I used to do when I played FIFA ultimate team a long yeah. time ago was I buy players and then I flip them for more money. And that's how I play the game. Like mm-hmm. it's just such an easy utility to incorporate into things. But if you are going to look to get invested into crypto gaming type projects, I um, I personally am not trying to invest in the games themselves. I'm investing in the, yes, I'm investing in the various technologies that are behind the projects that are building inside of this space. And the reason for that is the same reason why if you were back in the the gold rush era over in California, the individuals that made all the money back then, predictably, were the people that were selling the pans that people were using to pan for gold. You could go buy a pan and then whether you found gold or not, the individual still sold you the pan and they still made money, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if you decide to go and pan for gold yourself, you might come up dry. So you could almost say that this could be like the people selling the pans are the ones that are building the infrastructure for which these crypto gaming platforms will be built on. So whether the game is successful or not, 
If you're investing in the underlying technology, then you have a better chance at having success with your investment. Okay, so any so underlying that. technology that you're bullish on, any specific, uh, you know, techs that uh, you see that is okay? So, yeah, so one is um, Ethereum. Not financial course. advice, obviously. Yeah, yeah, not some financial alpha. advice. Um, some alpha for you guys but, to take a look at since you stayed this long on the pod. Yeah, yeah. So I think that when you're looking at this, uh, you need to approach, I need to, and you can choose to do whatever you'd like. Uh, I look at when I invest into cryptocurrencies, excuse me, I look at things from a layer of risk. So what, what's, what's, how does the layer of risk, you know, come into play with the cryptocurrency ecosystems and it's the, the ecosystem, uh, the whole cryptocurrency ecosystem, the whole world of cryptocurrency works in a system of layers, right? So we have the layer one, which is the layer one blockchain that projects can be built on top of. This is like Solana. This is like Ethereum. And then we have layer twos like Polygon. Um, Aave could be a layer two. It's just whatever's built on top of that layer one. And like Arbitrum, for example, is a layer two. So if Arbitrum requires Ethereum to operate, that means that Ethereum would be less risky than Arbitrum. Same thing with Polygon, same thing with Aave. But then if you have something built on top of that layer two, such as Arbitrum, providing it's not chain agnostic, meaning that it can function on multiple different blockchains, mm -hmm. um, it that would seemingly be more risky than the layer two option, right? Totally. So I think that's important to take into consideration when you're looking to make these investments. But with that being said, Arbitrum has released a new um, chain called the Nova chain, yeah. I believe, yeah. which the intention for it is to actually be a gaming chain. And then there's also um, Immutable X, which yeah. is a layer two that is has the intention of being a gaming chain as well. I think that also partnered with like GameStop or something, yeah. uh, which is pretty cool. And um, those are the only two ones that I'd feel comfortable with actually <laughs> naming. <laughs> so those are solid. Yeah, those are really solid picks. And the other thing is if you get into Arbitrum now, which is something I'm personally doing, so I don't advise you to do anything unless if you think that it's a good idea. I am I'm paying close attention to Arbitrum. Mm -hmm. um, one, because I really like it. And two, because they're now th them opening up this second chain. So they have the one chain, which I think they're calling Nitro now, and the Nova chain, yeah. which is their gaming chain. Mm -hmm. They've now introduced the idea that they're going to be participating in horizontal scaling, which means that they don't just rely on one blockchain mm -hmm. for every single transaction to take place. Mm -hmm. They take stress off that one blockchain by having another blockchain next to it so that, that one can hold different transactions so that you don't have the same pile up that takes place which is also one of the reasons why the Cosmos ecosystem is so cool. And that tells me that they're going to continue to do this. And they chose crypto gaming as the first one that they do, which is another thing in my mind that tells me that crypto gaming is the next narrative. Yep. So if you pay attention, if you understand the technology and you pay attention to the actions of the big players inside of this space, they can kind of reveal to you what these next narratives can be. And this is a great example of that. That's exactly right. Um, alpha. That is alpha. alpha. Dropping big alpha in this pod today. 
Um, so we like to wrap up our pod with a little segment that we call this or that. So it's going to be rapid fire. I'm just going to say two things. You tell me this one or that one. Ready? Yep. Okay. Bitcoin or ETH? ETH. Solar AVAX? AVAX. Instagram or Twitter? <sighs> I'm going to say Twitter. Okay. Up to but I'm more I'm more on Instagram because that's where I feel my target audience. But is. you like Twitter more. Yes, because I think they'll be more likely to shift to decentralization sooner. Facts. Okay, Uptober or Downtober? Can I say Crabtober? <laughs> going to go sideways. Yeah, it's yeah, probably going to go sideways. Okay, paper hands or diamond hands? Looks like you've suffered from both. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'd say if I had to pick one, it'd be diamond hands, but it also very much so depends on what what crypto right. or, or NFT is in question. <laughs> Trader or investor? Investor. Gary V or Elon Musk? <laughs> Gary V. I love Gary V. I love his energy. Influencer or I think Gary V impacted Elon's. What was that? What? I think Gary V motivated Elon in one way or another. Absolutely. So without Gary, we wouldn't have Elon. Well, and just seeing the way Gary V jumped into this space so quickly yeah. and built V friends to be what it is, which mm -hmm. I truly think is an incredible reference point to look at like what's possible yeah. with an NFT project. I think that that alone is going to do a lot for the space moving forward when people realize how important the intellectual property rights are of each of those nfts in the in the grand scale thing that he's building totally yep i couldn't agree more um uh so influencer or schiller uh i feel like schiller has more of a negative connotation so i'm gonna say influencer okay and last one ftx or binance You can't say Uniswap. I'm going to say Binance. And the reason for that is because I, I had the incredible opportunity to speak on a panel with Patrick Hillman, the chief communications officer of Binance. And him and I had a hour plus long conversation on a pirate ship here in Tampa, Florida. And he was telling me all the things about like, how Binance handled the situation with the Chinese government and all of that stuff. And it gave me a lot of respect for Binance. I really, it, yeah, it gave me a lot of faith in that company. I love it. Oh yeah, that, must, that must have been cool. Word, I think this was. was a great podcast. <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much for hopping on. Everybody who's tuning in, make sure you guys drop a like, subscribe, check out Ryan, obviously show him a follow, and then we'll see you guys on the next episode. Peace.